Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Do you remember that um, BBC interview a long time ago where a child ran in in the background and everyone was like, oh, this is what working from home is like. That, that's, what, that's what it's been like every day for six months, essentially. Movember presents In The Barber Chair, a podcast dedicated to bringing you real cuts and real conversations about men's health. I'm Matt Johnson and I'm your host. Movember wants men to take action to live happier, healthier, longer lives and they invest in prostate cancer, testicular cancer, mental health and suicide prevention. Hi, this is Matt Johnson in the Barber Chair for Movember with our very special dad guest today, Simon Hooper. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. No, thank you for having me. I, I want to ask you first and foremost, I know it's a dull question. Everybody's asking it all the time, but how, how has this year been for you considering there's been an international pandemic? Yeah, I mean, the, the world seems to be on fire from every corner, doesn't it? So um, I, I think it's... It's been one of these years that you have to just roll with what's what's happening around you and adapt relatively quickly. Um, I mean, this is kind of unprecedented, right? We don't really know what's going around in the next corner, um, and, no, and the rules are very fluffy at best. So, I think we're kind of making it up as we go along. So, that's one of the things that I've learned to do is adapt to the situation, whether that comes to childcare or how we do work from home or what's happening in other countries that may well affect us, like the U.S. election, which plays on my mind all the time because I have way too much time on my hands at the moment so it's it's a really weird one isn't it and um I suppose I uh, was in a situation this year where I was a, a parental figure and it's a big responsibility how you um you become a newsreader reporter every single day when you you translate the harshness of the world into a palatable um Palatable, palatable story, really. How how tricky has be, that been for you? Because I found that quite difficult. Yeah, well, I think because I've got four four children of different ages as well, so you have to adjust the uh, the, the kind of level of censorship you put on the stories, right? So the the thirteen year old probably knows a lot more than I do. She's just plumbed into the world and gets everything that's happening. And we have kind of really quite big debates about what's happening in America and what's happening with the vaccine here and what does it mean for lockdown and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that on that level, I can have an adult conversation. When you get to the 10-year-old, then it's slightly more watered down. Don't worry, everything's happening. It's, it's okay and we can adjust and flex. Um, and I think that she's been more concerned about her interactions with her friends um, because at that, that age... They don't have social media and they're not as tied to the world around them. And their world is immediately the people they see at school. And I think that was the biggest upheaval for, the, uh, for my daughter, who's 10, Marnie, um, is that not seeing her friends uh, and not being able mm. to have that, that real human interaction outside of the family. So kind of diluting down what's happening in the world, but in a way that's not scary. And then for the, for the twins who are four, uh, Otterley and Delilah, I mean, it was just a case of not really letting them feel the impact of what's happening in the big, scary world outside and making it as comfortable for them as possible. And, and you know, I don't think even if I sat down and talked to them about coronavirus, <laughs> they wouldn't necessarily be interested. They know what the word is um, and, they, and they seem to blame it on, uh, they seem to blame everything that goes wrong in their life on coronavirus. Oh, we can't <laughs> go to soft play about coronavirus. Yeah. Well, that's fine. So, I mean, they, it, it's just a case of making sure that they're all comfortable and happy. And that's been the main objective, hasn't it, for every parent? <laughs> what was it like every day in a house with 
all of those children and yourself for those that amount of months? Well, I mean, you know, do you remember that um, BBC interview um, a long time ago where um, a child ran in the background and everyone was like, oh, this is what working from home is like. <laughs> that, that's, what, that's what it's been like every day for six months, essentially. Um, so <laughs> I, and, I, and I think everyone else has got used to it as well. So, you know, children coming in, asking for snacks and like shooing them away and just try, just give me another 10 minutes. Please. You can go and watch Paw Patrol for a little bit longer. It's fine. I'll be in a bit. Um, so yeah, it's been a juggling act, but I, I also have the benefit of the fact that I've worked from home for the last two years anyway. Mm. So in terms of that upheaval, it's not a big change for me. The change is that I've actually got people here as well now, um, and, and people that you don't want to shout at in front of all the other people that you're talking to <laughs> at work. <laughs> yeah, that's, been, that's been the biggest adjustment for me, definitely. What was homeschooling like? Did you do that? Yes, and um, I must say that it's, I think this is varied hugely across the country, depending on what school you go to, what council you're supporting, and what technology you have available, because not all parents have access to laptops and all those kind of things that enable you to do the homeschooling stuff. And mm. depending on what you have, it meant that you had to do varying levels of interaction and involvement. Um, for my, my eldest, she's doing stuff that makes me feel thick anyway. Like, if you remember like planning for your GTSEs and doing all the revision. She's like, oh, she's talking to me about all of these um, chemistry equations. And I'm like, yep, yep. <laughs> and I'm just looking up on my phone on the side, like trying to figure out exactly what she's talking about. <laughs> um, but for my, for my 10-year-old, she was the one that really needed the focus um, and actually to sit down and have work planned out. And that, that's, that's the challenge. Um, mm. Luckily, my, my work was um, quite flexible, and I think they realised that because everyone across the world was homeschooling their kids, they actually carved out an hour of the day for us that we could not work and make sure that we were focusing on on the kids, so that we can actually just sit down, work with them, and one make ourselves feel quite thick. I'm sure by not understanding <laughs> what we're doing, um, but also just giving that time and attention because it, it's really hard when everyone's in the same house, but you're not mentally there for them because you're focusing on your actual day job and trying to mm. make sure you're keeping employed and keeping the keeping the wheels greased i think that's that, that's the most interesting thing i think I, I homeschooled as well and um for me i was like i was such a naughty little kid in school so i was like oh, i didn't want to know about protons electrons and neutrons but now i'm, I'm like I want to know everything about it. This is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I learned so much. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, I can speak a bit of French now. This is fantastic. And yeah, I, got, I, I got a lot from that, to be honest. Yeah, I think what I've actually found ourselves as part of an entertainment evening, sitting down and all doing the same exam. I mean, that sounds really sad and pathetic, wow. but I was really pleased with my mark as well. <laughs> <laughs> If only I, if I was this this into science when I was that age, it would have been a different story. Absolutely, much easier twenties for me, much easier. And exactly. but the, the dynamic of the household completely shifted as well. I think in their billions, people across the world had to uh, carve out some sort of structure, have an area for work. Um, it, all, everybody's personalities came to the surface as well because I think a lot of people uh, can go through life and not see what. I'm like when I'm in work mode, you know what I mean? And, and, and it's a kind of separation of, of uh, work friends and, and house family friends and all that type of stuff. And it's, it's yeah. quite an interesting shift in dynamic family life, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think that this got pointed out to me a couple of times by my wife and my kids that there is definitely a work me and a family me. And mm. they notice it even in my inflections in the way that I talk when I'm at work. So they, they, they'd listen in and like, that's not how you talk. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you know, that is how I talk at work because that's serious and, you know, I need to make sure that I seem professional. But in real life, I'm actually a 16-year-old trapped in a 38-year-old body. <laughs> <laughs> same. Absolutely the same. Uh, um, um, what what do you think you you will take from all of this and apply it to your 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 normal normal life, whatever that may be in the future? Well, I, yeah, I think this is a a really important thing that I think a lot of people have reflected on as well, right? So, what's truly important in life, and mm. and the the answer to that is the people directly around you. Yes, your job is important, but the people that you spend most of your time with in your house 
are first and foremost the people that you need to spend time with, invest in the relationships, and making sure that you're, you're finding time for yourself as well. Um, one of the things that I did a lot of when I was um, in lockdown um, was exercise. And I fell in love with cycling again. And I think loads of people did this because it was just an excuse because we were allowed to exercise for an hour a day. So oh, I'm suddenly going to exercise, um, mm. which isn't no bad thing because obviously endorphins are good for your mental state and encouraging how you feel. Um, but I did a lot more exercise and that meant time for myself. Um, so I could go out for an hour, ride a bike and not think about anything. None of the problems that I have they're all kind of left behind because what you focus on is the bike and the road in front of you and that's mm. it for an hour and, and that's something that I've carried on even now even though it's starting to get colder and you know my nose starts running as you uh, <laughs> as you saw, um is making that time because that that time is my time uh, and everything else all my other time is devoted devoted to my work and my family Mm. But that is that's mine. And I think that's so important. And that's definitely something I'll, I'll continue to take on um, in the coming years. This is music to my ears because I, th I hope and I really genuinely hope this is something that everybody, especially men, especially men. And obviously I want everybody to do it, but I find men do not allocate self-care in any capacity no. within their working week, let alone day. And it needs to be a daily thing. And what you found there is, I know uh, cycling, I, I, I used to cycle all the time, is meditative. You've got to concentrate yeah. on the road. And one thing, your mind can swirl around a little bit, but you're very present. Otherwise, you're going to get hit by a lorry. And you're yeah. on your own. It's that time where you can get your own endorphins going, etc. It's incredible, not just for your physical health, but for your mental health too. Yeah, exactly. And I think this is something that, as you touched on, I think men have kind of struggled with because... It seems like, uh, and this is not right, but it does seem like a failure if you feel like you need to take too much time and think about yourself uh, or reflect on things. It's not a failure at all, right? It's one of the strengths of being able to acknowledge that you actually need to spend some time on your own. You don't have to give everything to everyone else around you to feel like you're validated. Mm. Um, and I think with the increasing number of children that I've had, um, that's become more and more prevalent. Because obviously the, I'm spread so thinly across five women in my life that I can't do all of them justice if I haven't given myself the time to, to look after myself. And I'm, I'm not talking about physically looking after myself because, I mean, look at me, I'm haggard, I'm 38 and I'm, my, my face is falling apart. But I'm talking about the actual, the actual mental state of how you feel. Um, and I think this is one other thing that I've, I've found over the last couple of months, especially in lockdown 1.0, um, was that my male friends, our WhatsApp group, um, from school and from uni, I found was a lot more active uh, mm -hmm. and that people were more willing to talk about how they were finding things or how they might be struggling with things or how their relationships were. Because previously, we might have gone down the pub after work to be able to talk about those things or you might have just had a one-to-one -one conversation with someone. But I think this has enabled people just to actually take the time and think about What's going on in their life? Who can I talk to about it? And mm. where, do I, where do I feel safe talking about that as well? And I think it's with your closest friends where you can talk about things that you might not be able to talk about with your spouse or with your work colleagues. And it's about finding that right audience to be able to talk about things where you feel safe and you know that you won't be judged. And that's, that's very important. I think um, we can... We can we can be very light about the importance of going to the football or you know going to the pub. It seems like a bit of a frivolous, joyful thing, but when it was all taken away from everybody en masse, you realized, mm. or it, from, from, my, from my perspective, I mean, I used to go to the gym probably about four times a week. Didn't always work out as to my maximum. I would just go there. And I realized why I missed it so much is because I would talk to my mates just before probably a little bit of banter during and definitely having a protein shake or whatever we did afterwards, a bit of food or something. That was a, a, my yeah. connection four times a week. That was my, my men's group as such. And then on the weekend, it was always a sporting thing to do. And, and as well, yes, I mean, your team might not be good, but it's not always about the game. It's the before yeah. halftime, the connection and sharing that unity and that unifying moment, belonging somewhere. All of yeah. these things are incredibly important, but when they're taken away, 
I, yeah. I, 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 I'm the same as you. I, I talk to my friends from Kefili back home more than I ever have in 20 years. We had Zoom yeah. cider and black drinking sessions. It was wonderful. <laughs> and, and it was definitely our subconscious going, oh, oh, we need something. We're missing something. And then consciously we were making these wonderful decisions to connect, which is so yeah. important. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree. And I, I think the, um, there's a couple of kind of reflections that I've had about the relationships that I truly value as well. So you do have those, those relationships where they are just surface and you just talk about sport, but there are those few people where you can just actually have a, a real good conversation. And yeah. those are the ones I probably value more now. Yes, that social interaction is, is um, important, but I, I think being able to actually talk to someone on the level and, and kind of open your heart a little bit without feeling like you're defenseless and you're going to be judged is, is really important. Um, I think the other thing just to mention as well is that just before lockdown or the start or the back end of last year, I joined a local hockey team and I hadn't played hockey for 11 years. Like I'm a, I'm a rugby guy. I love rugby and I went to a rugby academy school and all that kind of stuff. But I really loved hockey and I felt like I was missing out in some way when I when we moved out of London um, and I wanted to do something to join a local community. So off my own back, I didn't know anyone in the team. Um, I just thought I need to go and join a club to give me that kind of interaction that I miss again and to give me the exercise. And that has also been brilliant because um, we were able to do like social distance hockey training sessions. Um, we had like a bit of a more of a community as well. Uh, and it did feel like you were part of something. So even though we were isolated in the way that in which we were for lockdown i still had that ability to get out there and and actually have that friendship group where we don't talk about deep things and we just play hockey and that was yeah. really that was really great release uh, and and once again it's not about the winning or the losing it's about interaction with people who have a shared interest that's very very interesting it's not about the winning or the losing because i think Definitely, I, I suffer with a bit of a perfection complex where if it's not at a decent standard like I used to play, I can't be bothered. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think a lot of men are like that. You know, it's, 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 it's true. Well, I'm, I'm still waiting for the call from the Premiership to call me and say, look, we, we've reflected um, over the last 15 years of you not playing rugby and we really think you should be playing for England. Look, I know that that call's never going to come. That's okay. Um, <laughs> Um, similarly, I'm, I'm a perfectionist when it comes to sport, but I think this comes with age as well yeah. and maturity. It is the, the winning isn't as important. I know that I'm no longer a first team player. I'm okay with that because I'm there to enjoy playing rather than for the win. And, and I, I'm amazed by the fact that I'm saying this because I am ultra competitive, uh, but I've got to that, that stage where actually the winning part just isn't as important as the taking part. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. How did you, how do you obtain that mentality? Is it something that you've learned over the last few years, or were you surrounded by that um, that mindful approach to to life? 
Um, no, well, I think there's a couple of things, but it, some of these may resonate, some of them may not. I think as you get older, the smaller things that you used to concentrate that seemed really important on, um, and you start to get a broader perspective on life, um, especially when you have children, because the focus has gone from you and just you making sure that you're looking after yourself, uh, that you're spending the money on your, your money on the things that you want to do, and that you're making sure that you're making your life as best as you can, to I've got all these other people that I now have dependent on me. And my objective is more about making sure that they're having the best experience in their life. And I, the money that I'm earning is spending on them. And I don't begrudge that in any way, shape or form, because I get joy from seeing them succeed. And it's almost like I'm not saying that I've given up on my time, but I'm, I get more value from, from seeing them succeed than I do myself now. And I think that just comes with age. I really do. I think that is just a, a reflection on um, how your perspective changes. And I also think I've, I've stopped, sweating, stopped sweating the small stuff. Like the, the small, small things in life don't matter. Um, as long as the long term you've got your health, um, you have a way of making sure that your family is happy and that you in yourself are happy, then everything else can just kind of disappear because it's just noise. Um, mm-hmm. And you have one life. Uh, and as long as you're happy in that life, then screw what anyone else thinks. That's it. And, and it's interesting to find what's happiness for you, not copying what you do, Simon. It's like it's finding your happiness because I know what it seems like having children has really been a huge obviously it is to everybody but it's a huge impact on your life and and mm. and what we, what you've done with that and as well with your career with your with your blogging and vlogging career as well that's that's turned yeah. into an extra thing I, I assume that you never thought that would happen no and i think that there are i think there are people out there that assume that i do that as a full-time job i don't mm. like i do it because i enjoy it that's it and it, that's only ever been the reason why I got into it. In fact, the reason why I got into it originally is because that the, the role of the father and dads in general were underrepresented in social media. I would go and uh, go online and it's all mums talking about mums uh, and, and being a mum. That's great. But that's half of the parenting team. I felt like one, I could probably show what it's like for a dad of four kids, which is um, you know, fairly unique, being four girls as well, including identical twins, who I'm still struggling to tell apart. And, um, and I think also just give a little bit of humour back into the situation, because I, I know it's a cliche, but laughter is the best medicine for things. If you are really struggling, what you need to hear is someone else is also having the same struggle, but they're able to laugh at it. Because if, yeah. if they can, then that probably means I can as well. And I need to probably not worry about that so much. Um, and obviously, you know, the social media is a big world. It's a big world. You can find any kind of echo chamber you want to reinforce the way that you feel. Um, but I think the, the thing is to be able to kind of step back from that a little bit. See social media for what it is as well. It's not, it's not necessarily a great place for mental health if, if you are looking at the wrong content. If you're looking at things that don't make you happy, um, then you've got to question why. Why am I doing this to myself? Um, and take a step back from it. Sorry, I know we've gone on a massive tangent, but I'm... No, I, I, I've been, this is what this I, is all about. Yeah, well, I think this, this is the... And I don't know if you've watched the, the recent documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. I'm scared to and, watch it because I don't want to... I, I need to be on social media every now and then. I think I just burn my phone if I watched it. <laughs> well, I think I'm less concerned about it myself because... I know what social media is about, right? The people are putting themselves out there, one, because they want to get their voice out there and it's nice to get validation from others, but essentially it's a big marketing platform as well, right? People are there to, to see what they can get from it. Um, and it's, you know, people are being sold to all the time. The ones where I'm more concerned are my children and the, the exposure that they have to, uh, to the things that they see online. Um, and how hard they're being sold to. And a great example of this is um, TikTok, uh, which my 13-year-old is obsessed with and just constantly walks around like this, like staring at it. <laughs> she doesn't, she doesn't realise how much she is influenced by what she sees online, right down to how her room is designed, how her clothing is, the language she uses, the music she listens to. 
Mm. And then there's recently been some videos that I saw on, um, on Instagram of dads pretending to be their daughters, um, like from around the world. So it, there's, the, the daughter walks in and she's holding the phone and he's like sat in the bed with a laptop. It's like, get out. And then talking about the clothes they wear. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. They're all buying thrift store clothes. They have LED lights in their bedroom that change color. They're all burning joysticks. They're all getting into witchcraft and stone uh, and like gemstone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because they're all being fed the same stuff from the same source. Um, and so individuality, I'm not saying it's dying, but it, it, you know, at that age, you want to fit in. You want to be cool and you want to be part of the group. Um, it's just Instagram and, and TikTok and all the other social media platforms give you instant access to that and tell you what you should be using, what you should look like. And I do worry about that. It's, it's a really interesting point because you are so prevalent on there and you have a, a huge following, but it seems that you are very mindful about what you produce and what you put out there. What's, what's, your, what's your demographic, would you say? What's the, who watches you the most? So my original idea was to kind of get more dads involved and talk about things as a parenting unit. Uh, the reality is that 91% of my followers are female. Um, so I've st- I mean, 9% of 930,000 people is still a good number of guys out there. Yeah. Um, but guys don't tend to comment on social media. They'll watch mm. things, but they don't feel the need to comment or like anything I, i'm guilty of that as well i, I scroll through instagram and I'll, I'll be like oh that's funny but i don't feel the need to press a button or write a comment about it i i've never understood <laughs> why people do to be honest with totally. you but it's good, it's, it's good that um it's good that people do feel like the need to be able to discuss things and there are lots of topics on there where it does require interaction and conversation mm. um, which is great and it generates those conversations but uh, there's a very big difference between the way that men use social media and the way that women use social media, or at least the way that I've perceived it. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely completely agree. Same with me. It's it's really interesting though when men actually do interact. That's where I was talking the other day, actually. I mean, I always encourage people to interact and all that type of stuff. I do lots of stuff about mental health and I do lots of um, awareness raising for men's mental health specific, specifically. And yes, you get really great comments constantly and it's really lovely. But when a guy slips into your DMs, <laughs> <laughs> not in that way, but if, if you get somebody saying, oh, mate, I really appreciated that one post. It resonated with me. Thank you very much. I think I'm going to go and look for somebody to talk to. That yeah. is yeah. just the best thing in the entire world. Do you, do you get that? Yeah, and, and as you say with like DMs, that's where I have most of my interaction with guys because they don't necessarily want to put their opinion out publicly for people to rip apart or to... And, unless they're they. slagging off a footballer or something. In, in, which, in which case, in yeah. In which case, it's just like a free-for-all, yeah. Exactly. I think that's where they feel more comfortable to be able to actually have a conversation. Like, I, I'm, I'm struggling with my daughter going to sleep or I'm struggling with my son who doesn't have a great relationship with me or whatever it might be, that's where, and that's where I can add the most value as well, is actually having like a decent conversation with someone one-to-one in the DMs. And I think that there is, there's this perception that because you have such a big following, you know, there's no way you read all those DMs. I do. I actually read mm. all of the DMs, even the nasty trolly ones, which immediately get blocked and told to sort off. But yeah. It's, it's, I find it fascinating uh, because there's an argument that social media is great and there's arguments that social media is bad for you. But I mean, mm. in, even in the last week, I, I've had a really weird relationship with it where I am stuck. I'm like, uh, I don't know what content is really. You know, like you, you have your thing and you, you, it's, it's pretty, well, I'm just like a presenter that's just on it. And like, wow, oh, there's, there's a video of me with my face on the beauty from Beauty and the Beast dancing around using that reface that I'm like and that gets like loads of views I'm like well I'll just do that all the time then I'm not gonna <laughs> I'm not gonna worry about content um but even I <laughs> but every now and then you get a, like a job through and you you, you do the re- relevant post or whatever I have no idea what to do and then I, I, I I'm like every two minutes refresh oh it's not getting so many likes Oh, my night, my night is ruined. How do you kind of cope with that expectation of 
of mm. uh, looking at likes, views, all that stuff. Because yeah. I know that with with your amount of followers, it's going to tick up, tick, tick up, tick, tick up wonderfully, much more than yeah. the average person's. But I know people are sitting there yeah. now going, oh, I just wish I had more than 10 likes on this picture. And my life is ruined because of it. Yeah, so I think this is this is something that once again comes with experience, I guess. So in the first six months of when I started out on social media, it was like that. Like I was thinking, oh, I'm not getting the traction that I thought I might, or that didn't land very well. But then, especially in the last year, my the, the content that I've created is for me. And, and I've been able to post stuff that I find funny or that I want to talk about and posting it is like therapy right or talking into stories is like therapy I'm talking into a black void and I get some responses back which is nice but I have been able to post and then shut my phone down and then not worry about likes or views or anything like that because the 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 way in which I got that frustration out was by pressing that post button. It's not the validation of the likes that I'm, I was, what I'm worried about anymore. And if people don't like certain content, that's great. But the, the creative process of making something and putting it out there to me is more valuable than getting it to get 100,000 likes. And, and this is why, you know, you see so much clickbait on YouTube and, and all these places where, you know, they'll put a, a, a fancy headline on it and, you know, their life revolves around making sure that they have the big likes and, and the, you know, it goes viral. But because that is their job, that's their career, right? Um, yeah. That's not, my, this isn't my job. This isn't my career. This is something I do to entertain myself, hopefully to entertain others. And I, I think over the last year, I've just had this kind of realization that this is not as important as people give it the credence to for so you know it's it's taken me a while to get there and i think more and more people will get there um but don't be don't be worried about whether people like stuff or not because it's not real life it's really not real life the, the people who you can call up and have a conversation with the people you can go to the pub with and have a conversation with the people you play hockey with or the people you play rugby with or the people that are friends with your children's um friends those are the ones that count in life whether you get 15 likes or 15,000 likes is not a validation of who you are. It's just how well a piece of content did on the internet. That's it. That's very, very interesting. If, were you ever tempted uh, at some point to go, I don't know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pack in my, my normal job and I'm going to take this internationally, oh, yeah. you know, all that type of stuff. Have you yeah. felt that? Yeah, yeah, of course. That, that, that was that, you know, as you start to gain traction um, and you get more followers and then it's like, oh my God, this is, this is great. I might be able to give up my day job, but I'm quite a risk averse person and I have a lot of dependents in my life. Right? <laughs> so so if, if I made that jump, um, then I think personally shelf life of being on this platform is, or, or being on any social media platform is three to five years at best um things move on very quickly and yes in that time you could do things that you might not be able to do previously but but at what cost right so would i be able to go back into the career that i'm in now which i've spent 13 14 years building up um and to get to the position where i am just for the sake of you know having a bit more fun and doing things that i might not be able to do for a period of time in my life or do i need the stability to be able to you know, ma maintain um, the role, the role, the job that I have. Keep myself stimulated mentally as well, and in the career market, um, while also just having a bit of fun. And in the end, it was I'd much rather keep the job that I have and have fun at the same time. Um, yes, I can potentially earn more in a shorter period of time if I just focused on Instagram and social media, but uh, that wasn't the right course for me anyway. It's a very smart mentality. I mean. I think I would have just packed everything in and <laughs> traveled the well, world. I could be, I could have my own reality show. It's going to be brilliant. I'm going to. <laughs> well, I think there's, there's still opportunities, right? And you can. I think anyone at any point can make a shift, right? And I think this is another really good thing that people that has come out of lockdown and, and furlough schemes. And when I say good, obviously it's 
the whole surrounding thing has been very negative, but it has also made people think, am I happy doing what I'm doing, right? Uh, or is this the push that I've needed to go and explore another opportunity? Um, and yes, that, that is really scary, but I've had colleagues um, uh, in, in my work who have um, who've had uh, partners who have been made uh, redundant or been furloughed, and they have decided to be a plumber, like from being an architect, right? And, and that's because they've always wanted to do it and they've always wanted to do woodworking or something like that. And this has been the thing that has pushed them to go and do the thing which might actually make them more happy or help them escape from the corporate world in which they, they've been tied to since they were at university. Mm. So I think there are positives to take out of it as well. It's, more, it's about having that confidence and that bravery to, to say, you know what, I'm, I'm okay to make a change and I've, and I've got confidence to at least give this a go. Yeah, it's a definite shake-up this year, isn't it, for that? I, yeah. uh, with, with every element of people's lives as well, working, relationships, all that type of stuff, people are realizing what they definitely do want. And, and as well, I think sometimes more importantly, what they don't want in their yeah. lives. And really interesting earlier when you said about uh, this was your therapy, when you mm. you shout into your phone and you post it and it's part of your, your process. Is, is therapy something that you've explored at all? Any, any like psych psychiatric therapy at all? Um, so it's not something that I've explored and I'm fortunate to have been in a position where I don't feel like I've ever had to get to that stage where there needs to be that, that kind of intervention. Um, but that's not to say that I don't know a lot of people who do do those things. And, and the one thing that I, we did explore was um, for phobias for our eldest daughter as well, like trying to figure out how, how do you help someone round something? Because I wasn't equipped to be able to do that. And people yeah. have a better skill set than me in being able to do that. So that's, that's something that we've explored. Um, but I do think, as I, as I mentioned, um, things like exercise and making time for yourself has maybe helped head things off at the past before I've got to that stage where um, I felt like I've really hit a wall and I don't need to, I, I need to go and explore other options. So I haven't, I haven't explored it myself. But that's really interesting is because I, I'd like to put uh, that cycle right in the box of therapy, um, of alternative therapies. It's mindful, it's very, uh, you're very much in the moment, it's meditative in lots of ways. And, and the, the, the important part of that is finding the right tools for you. So for example, with me, it, it is meditation in the mornings. I, I can't look at my phone and do any work until I've checked off a few things on my list and journaled, for example. And to yeah. be able to do that, it's important to really tune into what you need for you. Uh, like you say, at one point you went, I need to get out and do an hour cycle. And then you had that tool. And I think those, those types of therapies could actually save a lot of people if, if only people knew themselves a bit more. Yeah. And I, I think that there's also, and, and maybe, this is, maybe this is wrong, but I think there is a, a stigma around the word therapy, right? Because mm -hmm. it, it, it signifies that you failed in some way mm -hmm. and, and therefore you need someone to fix you. I don't think that's the case at all. Um, and, and this is where there's some great things that I've seen online and different people that I follow around mental health and, and especially male support is that acknowledging that in, its, in the first instance, that talking to someone that you don't know or seeking an alternative way is not a, an acknowledgement of a failure. Um, it's actually being able to see strength in yourself, right? Mm -hmm. And acknowledging that there are areas where that can improve and I'm okay exploring that. Um, that's that's one of the hardest things for many people, but I think more predominantly in men is admitting that you're not okay. That's the first step. Hmm. Um, and, and I know that people in general aren't very good at it, but I think it's more prevalent in men. Yeah, definitely. It, there's, there's definitely um, this the negative stigma of failure and vulnerability attached to um, act, acti actively searching out therapies. But yeah, I think the, the normalization of the conversation like we're having now, normalizing um yeah. just the fact that like oh I, for some reason i like to go away every other weekend and go into the mountains and um, climb mountains and have barbecues with my mates that's mindfulness that's therapy that is absolutely brilliant you are in tune with what you need and and when you admit that you can go oh well, i can do it more often then if i'm feeling a bit yeah. funky and all that type of stuff it's all yeah, exactly. all of the things like even just having an open conversation like this like we're having now is therapeutic for me 
Yeah, exactly. And I think this is this is the kind of thing that I wish I'd known about when I was younger. So there's been there's been two major upheavals in my life, I guess, emotionally for me uh, that I really struggled with. Um, the first one was when my mum got breast cancer and she, she's fine. Um, uh, but this was a, a time when I was 13, 14 and um, I was not very good at acknowledging the situation. I look back at it now and I, I'm more apologetic to my mum than I am to anyone else because I, um, she was going through a really difficult time in her life. My dad was obviously being really supportive and my brother and sister were, you know, being supportive. And I couldn't bring myself, one, to go into the hospital to see her, two, to acknowledge that it was even happening. Um, and, and that is one of my biggest regrets, um, is that I should have made more effort to be emotionally present, um, to acknowledge that it was happening and to also acknowledge that I was not coping with it very well. Um, and my, my way of coping as a 13, 14 year old was to bury my head in the sand, pretend it's not happening and just hope that it kind of vanishes and, and goes away. And now in hindsight, I wish that I had the ability to maybe talk to more people about it um, and, and be more open. And that's probably where therapy would have been really helpful um, to be able to, because that was a situation that no one in our family knew anything about. Like mm. there's, no, there's no reference point for us to be able to have those discussions. So that, yeah, for anyone who's, who's got a loved one who's ill or struggling with those feelings, um, that would be an, an area of where I would encourage anyone to be able to talk, either if it's to a family member that you're comfortable with or even better to someone external who is more practiced in those areas. Um, so that's, that's one of the areas where it would have been really helpful to me. Is there an opportunity there, though, to give yourself a bit of a break because you were 13, you know? It's... That's a very young yeah. age to deal with everything like that. I, th I think so. But I think also that having, having that intervention at that stage may well have helped me or equipped me with tools to then cope with things differently in the future. Right. So I think there's probably not something to, I don't think there's necessarily an age limit on when you should be um, having those, those discussions about your feelings. And, and our children today are growing up so much more quickly. The world is more complex. The world around them is so much quicker and there's so much stuff being thrown at them that they must be struggling in some way, shape or form, which is why, you know, depression in younger children is, is on the rise, why there's anxiety levels are through the roof. Like there's this need to conform and perform uh, mm. when, at such a younger age than we have probably had to experience. Uh, and so you know, I, don't, I don't think people are too or should be viewed too young to be able to have those discussions. Mm. Maybe I am hard on myself. Maybe I am, but um, I also think I would have benefited from it. And, and yeah. that, that, would have, that would have helped me. Sorry, I'm just rambling now, but that would no, have helped perfect. me. That would have helped me deal with um, things like when I lost uh, one of my best friends in a car crash um, at university or just after university. And um, it, was, it happened very suddenly. And uh, I, I was... I, I, buried myself away. Uh, I did speak to my friends a lot and I cried a lot. And, you know, it's one of those things you never expect to happen. But had I maybe had a better understanding of how to deal with those emotions from a younger age, then maybe I would have had the tools to help me equip with grief and loss um, mm. as in when it occurred. What, was, what were the lessons in, in loss that you, you learned? The, the grief is inevitable. You can't hide from it. Um, and it will find you at some point. Um, it may be immediate. It may be two or three years down the line. But you are going to be emotionally affected by the removal of someone that you love in your life and knowing that you're not going to see them again. Um, and that is a really hard thing to get to grips with. And I think as I've got older as well, I've become a lot more aware that my parents aren't infinite, right? They are not going to be here forever. Um, and that's why it's so important to maximize the time you can have with them to see the value in your parents and to, and to learn from them as much as you can. My, my parents are not only my role models, but they're also my friends. Um, and I, I want to, make sure that I'm kind of soaking up mm. as much time as I can from that because the reality is in, in a decade's time, in 20 years' time, 
they're not going to be there. And I think that's something that we probably all underplay. Um, we all think we're invincible. Um, mm. and, and therefore probably think we'll do things later in life. We'll, we'll patch those things up later in life. There's no time like the present. And I think that's something that um, I, I've come to realize and, and reflect on more as I get older. It's an incredibly important thing. And unfortunately, like you say, you have to go through almost traumatic events to have to cling on to a few tools and you pick up a few along the way, like some sort of weird real life computer game. And yeah. if I, I speak from experience, uh, 10 years ago, I, I was going through something terrible just over 10 years ago um, with depression and had no tools, um, only had hate and, and guilt and the worst self-talk um, I would never recommend for anybody. Um, and it culminated in, in, in me with a suicide attempt, but obviously didn't, didn't work, um, which I came out of with a new perspective and some tools. I, I, I was really self-aware and I really searched and I really did a lot of work. Um, I've lost four friends in that time since 10 years ago, uh, really close friends, uh, three to suicide, where I went to an accident. And if it wasn't through that bad experience that I had 10 years ago, I would not have had the tools to deal with the absolute heartbreak of, of these people, like you say, leaving your life suddenly. And I suppose the... The, the goal is, is to give people and to have these conversations so you have these tools and the awareness or even subconsciously going, I heard somebody say that when bad things happen, they do this. I'll try that. You know, yeah. I think in, instead yeah. of people going through horrors before they find it out themselves the hard way. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm, firstly, I'm so sorry to hear that, you know, what you've had to go through, but I'm also pleased that you did have the ability to be able to pull on those tools and resources around mm. you to, to give you strength. And I think that's, it's so important. That's the one, the one thing that really got me through when my friend died is the strength of my friends. And, and, you know, talking about the memories of that person and, you know, the way that I describe them now is that they're forever young in our, in our mind. We're, we're getting older. And, <laughs> yeah. and this guy has the, the, the fortunate place of being 25 forever now. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but, it, you know, it, it takes a long time to be able to get mm. to that stage to reflect on it and have positive thoughts um, mm. rather than uh, only negative. Um, but, yeah, I, I, it sounds like you got, you had the tools and, and the friendship. And, and, yeah, really, and really interestingly, I think one of the, the major tools for, for me in these situations is, um, which is why I think I picked up on when you said that you went through a difficult time and you felt bad or guilty that you were you what you how you behaved when you were 13 when your mum was poorly and it's taking you giving yourself a little bit of a break and that's the biggest thing so if i you know when my friend sophie uh, took her own life in 2018 i i went on like a weeks long bender you know and which is the worst thing to do that that, that is not a tool i don't recommend it it's not the right thing to do at all um but the big learning thing for me then was to go, do you know what? Of course you are. Of course you, you, you I spoke to her the night that she did it, the few hours before, and it broke, it literally broke me. And of course you're gonna hit the bottle a little bit and you, you need to get out of that and, and follow your process and, and, and go running and do all the things, drink lots of water, don't hang around people that you know, give you yeah. too much booze. And the, one of the biggest tools I have in my tool chest is to take it easy, go, do you, I know you feel terrible about what you did, but of course you're going to do that. Just pick yourself up. Tomorrow's a new day. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think also, you know, there is no, there is no formula for how you get from part A from where you're feeling to where you want to be mm. feeling, right? There, there's no set thing because if there was, everyone would follow it and everyone would be okay, right? And it, a lot of it, it the scary part is exploring all the different options available to you to get to that end point of feeling the way that you want to feel. Um, mm. and, and, you know, I, I think that's something that needs to be quite clear and comes across to people is that there is no one formula. You, you're going to have to find out some of these things on your own, but you have to be willing to try them to be able to get there. Yeah. You can't just go on a yoga retreat for the weekend and be fixed. It's part yeah. of a bigger process that is, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And that's very wise words, very wise words. And th thank God you're a father of four because they're going to be so lucky. 
<laughs> you seem so wise uh, and you're, you've got your head screwed on. Well, thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm hoping, I think for any parent, their, their objective is to make sure that their children have a either a parallel or a better experience than they did when they were growing up, right? So, mm. and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm doing that. But more importantly, I want them to grow up and have memories of having fun, right? And and of not having too much responsibility and being a child because there's time enough in life to grow up, to be responsible, to have jobs. But you only get one shot at being a kid and being at that age where you can kind of get away with stuff. Um, and I want them to, I want them to do that. I want them to to really embrace that, and I want them to talk to me in twenty years' time and and talk about fond memories of stuff, um, and and not have to worry about you know why someone was not feeling well or why why someone was depressed. Um, so yeah, as long as I'm doing that, then I, I feel like I'm succeeding. We're doing a brilliant job. Simon, it's been an absolute. I could talk to you for for hours, but I've I've had you for a while now. Thank you so much for your time today. I know time is of the essence uh, with your busy lifestyle, so we really appreciate yeah. it. And on behalf mm-hmm. of Movember, thank you very much for being a, a great stand-up dad. No, thank you. Thank you very much for having me on. I've really enjoyed talking about it. I just hope it stimulates some more conversations with other people. It definitely will. Thank you very much, mate. Change the face of men's health. For more information or to support Movember, head to movember.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.